You're listening to Jimmy Pizarro from City Lights Church. We're going to be talking about the Last Supper, the Lord's Supper, in Mark chapter 14. Just to give you a little bit of a recap, though, um, last week Jesse talked about proper worship and understanding how to worship Jesus and how there was this guy, one of the disciples named Judas, who you're probably all familiar with, who um, didn't quite get it. And uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about that today as well. But um, Mark chapter 14 starts off saying it was now two days before the Passover. You remember, if you were here last week, Jesse talking about how between that verse 14, chapter one and, or verses 1 and 2, you have the story of Mary pouring out ointment at the feet of Jesus. And uh, there were those there that asked, why? Why is, is she wasting this ointment? Why? Why do that? And actually in the Gospel of John, more specifically, it points to Judas as saying, himself saying, why was this uh, ointment not sold and then given to the poor? And it's interesting because in the next verse we see, in in, uh, verses 10 and 11, we see Judas, um, it says in verse 11, and when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. So if you think about that from the Gospel of John, and you think about it with Judas, you have Judas asking, why wasn't this money given to the poor that you could have made from selling it? But then a a few days later, you have Judas selling out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. And you kind of see the darkness in his heart. And interestingly enough, if you look throughout chapter 14, it keeps, uh, the picture keeps changing. You have um, gaps, and then you, you hear about, and, and we'll get to it today, um, more talk of betrayal. And then in verses 43 to 49 in chapter 14, the actual betrayal happening. And uh, basically what's going on in the, in the book of Mark, the Gospel of Mark, all throughout it, and we haven't really touched on it, but what, what's happening throughout the Gospel is this technique. It's a very technical term that theologians have come up with, and it's called uh, sandwiching. Because theologians like sandwiches. Um, So, like I said, there's gaps in these verses. So you have betrayal, worship. Then we go back to the betrayal. Then we talk about Passover. And then Jesus, in verses 18 and 19, we'll we'll get to it in a little bit. But he talks about betrayal again. And then you have some more story. And then you have in verse 43, betrayal again. So there's this layer upon layer upon layer of, of what's happening. And so, sandwiching. It's good to think of the Gospel of Mark as a giant six-foot-long sandwich, okay? Six-foot-long sub-sandwich with all of your favorite meats and fixings and layers, and then it's cut up and served on a round platter, and then you kind of pick, and then you eat, and it tastes really good. And um, if you're a pescatarian this morning, then it's a tuna sub, six-foot-long If you're a vegetarian this morning, then it's just your favorite fixings. Um, And if you're gluten-free, then it's a six-foot-long salad. Okay, it's just a six-foot-long salad. But if you like the sandwich analogy, you actually, you know, you have the platter, but then there's, there's not just two end pieces, there's for some reason three end pieces. Because if you look in chapter 16, most of you will have a comment in verses 9 through the end that says, uh, scholars debate on whether or not this was... This was, uh, you know, the most original manuscript. So you have three end pieces, right? So you've got the beginning end piece, and then you've got the end, and then you've got another end piece that just snuck in there. Um, 
So uh, we're going to talk about sandwiches a lot today because uh, we're talking about the Lord's Supper. So that was a really long introduction, and I get that. But the reason why is because I think the subject matter is going to gradually get a little bit more serious. So if you have sandwiches on your mind, you can think about lunch and, uh, and what you want to do. And we're going to partake again of communion today, so that's exciting. <clears throat> so let's just uh, start off where we're going to start off in the text. In, in chapter 14, verses twelve, starting in verse 12. Um, all right, we're going to read till verse 16. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, Where will you have us go and prepare for you to eat the Passover? And he sent two of the, his disciples and said to them, Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him, and wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, The teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room furnished and ready. There prepare for us. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as he had told them. And they prepared the Passover. So how many of you, before we get into this a little bit deeper, how many of you have ever seen a rendering of the Last Supper? Because that's what we're going to talk about today. Anyway, that's the kind of picture we understand it as. But how many of you know... And maybe you don't think about it that much, but the only people in that picture, right, and those that are left out, because chances are there was more than just those 13 people um, in, this, in this dining hall, but how many of you know that for most of the people at that table, they didn't know that this was the Last Supper, right? The only two people who probably knew it was the last time they'd all be eating together was Jesus and Judas. So the interesting thing is that Jesus... In these verses that we read from 12 to 16, he basically sends two of his disciples out and gives them a prophetic message in saying, hey, I've already kind of done all the work, the preparation. I just need you to go kind of follow it. So he gives them this weird set of instructions that somebody's going to meet you along the way. You're going to say to them some basically secret password, and he's going to lead you up into an upper room, and, and there it's, is where you can do you know, the, the prep work for the meal. But basically, I went ahead of you and made all the booking arrangements. And so I want you to think about, I want you to think about this idea of having to prepare a meal for more than 12 people. How many of you have ever planned a meal for more than 12 people? By a show of hands. Okay, that's a fair amount. Um, and like I said, there was probably more than 13, I said 12, but really 13, there's probably even more than that, okay, because it says that Jesus sent two disciples ahead, and then he says he came with the 12, so who knows how many people there could have been in this room. It was actually pretty common in that day when Passover was being celebrated, and people would come to Jerusalem, that outside on the the surrounding areas, people would have upper rooms in their houses where people would come and eat, where they would be able to celebrate, because they were traveling from afar, and to be able to celebrate the meal after it was sacri- after they'd sacrificed their animal, they would all eat in somebody's basically attic. It was common that that's where their dining room was. But how many of you have ever planned a meal for twelve people at a very busy time of year? That's usually when we prepare meals for a large amount of people. How many of you have ever tried to go out to eat on Mother's Day to a restaurant that you made reservations for? with more than 12 or 13 people? Okay, nobody. Oh, oh, okay. We have one. 
I imagine there's more than one. Have you can't because yeah, okay. So how many of you have gone out to eat on a holiday like that and didn't make reservations? No, with more than 12 or 13 people? Maybe? Okay. Okay, well, here's the idea that basically you have a whole bunch of people coming into Jerusalem gathering for Passover, and Jesus, who knows it's going to be his last meal, nobody else does, does the prep work for himself and basically says, I want to make this as inconvenient as possible since I know that this is going to be a really stressful time and this is the last meal I'm going to eat before I'm about to die. So not only does Jesus like know that going into it, but he also like prepares it for them so they don't have to think about it. So really, I would imagine that those 11 guys other than Judas there, they're all prepared to have a pretty good time. You know, they're not thinking about what's actually taking place. And that's a good thing. So we're going to read a little bit further, starting in verses, uh, actually, let's see, verses 12 to 16. <laughs> okay. Before we get there, sorry. Jesus, in all three, so Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they all recount this Last Supper experience, Okay. And they all preserve the memory of that passage from 16 to 20, or or I'm sorry, 12 to 16, about the relatively easy process of this meal. So for some reason, this, this sticks out in their memory. And so I already asked the questions about how many of you have been involved in the preparation. But furthermore, I'd like to ask another question, is how many of you have ever had a last supper or last meal type of experience? Most of us haven't had a last meal because we're still alive and we're here, right? So maybe we know somebody else who may have, but typically when you think of a last meal in our modern-day culture, you think of, like, the guy who gets his meal before he goes to the chair. And who knows how many people he's eaten with. It could be just himself eating a steak, and then he's dead. But knowing that it's your last meal with a group of people can't be easy. I, and I, I have the closest thing I could think of to a situation I remember as an undergraduate in college, the day of my graduation. So I went to a school in Virginia, and uh, that day there was about 4,000 people graduating, families coming into the the college town, and I remember, like, okay, everybody's going to want to go out to eat and celebrate after the graduation. And that didn't occur to me until the day of my graduation. So, like, I didn't plan anything. And furthermore, I didn't know that I'd have a whole bunch of friends that hadn't graduated yet that wanted to go out to eat, so I wasn't thinking. I was just stressed about what the heck I was going to do after college. So I remember the day of graduation, we went, ironically enough, to a sandwich place, okay? Not, they didn't serve six-foot-long sandwiches, but they sold, like, you know, uh, sandwiches. And um, we had to wait for about 45 minutes, and there was, like, 15 to 20 people who wanted to come out to eat. So it ended up working out. It only took, you know, a little while, and we, we all ate, and I remember being happy, because I was like, all right, great, I'm eating with all these people. But I also realized that it would be the last time I would be sharing a meal with my family, with all my college friends. This was it. I was moving from Virginia back to New Jersey. I didn't want to leave. And I remember thinking, how in the world, all right, how in the world is this, is my life going to change when I'm no longer in this community of people who have helped me grow 
in my walk with Jesus. I remember thinking, I've grown so much these four years in in college, and I've I've found a group of friends that I really loved and enjoyed, and I remember this would be the last time I'd eat with them. And I I thought about it for, for my family's perspective. They didn't really know any of my college friends, so they're not thinking, oh, this is a last meal. Like, they're just kind of eating, celebrating my graduation, yeah, happy to them. My friends all kind of, most of them weren't graduating, so they still had, you know, a few more years at school, And really, it was just me who was leaving, so no big deal there. Um, So, But I I remember me, it was hard for me to fully enjoy the meal because I was thinking, this is it. Like this, I'm leaving. I will never eat with all these people again. Um, And I was worried that somehow my faith would change because of it. So if you think back to the the Last Supper. You have Jesus who's completely secure in himself. He's not wondering, oh, you know what, how am I going to change as the Son of God because of this? He's not, he's not thinking that. He's thinking, you know, he's, he knows what his mission is. He knows that he's about to die, so we might as well have one last good experience with the people he loves and a meal with them. And then you have Judas who isn't thinking about how much he's going to miss these people. He's betraying Jesus. So he's thinking about his 30 pieces of silver. And like I said, for all the other disciples, they're thinking we're celebrating the Passover. We're celebrating that our people were set free from Egypt. And we're reflecting on that. And so in the midst of this, what's meant to be a celebration where they're reclining, eating at the table, Jesus, and excuse me giving him this title, Jesus the party pooper, Just as they were enjoying their slice of that sub-sandwich, he says this in verse 17. They weren't eating a sub-sandwich, I know. But just use your imagination. Oh, we took out out the last supper picture. There were little dinner rolls, which is close enough. And when it was evening, he came with the twelve. And as they were reclining at table and eating, Jesus said, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me. One who is eating with me. They began to be sorrowful and to say to him one after another, is it I? He said to them, it is one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. So imagine you're sitting at a table and then, this is what Jesus says. You know, that's a, that's a little bit of a downer. At this point, I'm sure some would just like completely lose their appetite. And, you know, I think about the question that the disciples ask in response. And, and basically what's going through there is, how could I continue, possibly even continue eating knowing that I'm capable of betrayal? I find it fascinating that Jesus says, one of you eating will betray me. And the disciples begin to ask, is it I? It says that every one of them ask, is it I? Does anyone find that weird? Like, were they really that insecure in themselves that they had to ask? Am I capable of betrayal? Like, they didn't, they, I would think somebody in that room would be like, oh yeah, I don't do it, that's not me. I'm good, I'm not going to betray Jesus. But like, they all ask, is it I? And in this particular account, Jesus doesn't exactly give a straight answer. The question's asked, he doesn't say, one way or another. He just says, it's one of you who is dipping bread into the dish with me. Jesus admits 
that he will, he will leave, he will go, he will die, and it's meant to be. But he says this of the betrayer, he says, it's better if he had not been born. If you could put up the Last Supper rendering one more time. It's interesting that in the Last Supper rendering, and I'm not saying this is how it happened, but Jesus and Judas are actually reaching in the same direction for the same piece of bread. Okay? And it's interesting to know that Jesus, right, is reaching for the bread, getting ready to break it, to symbolize that I'm breaking my body for you. But Judas participates in the breaking of the bread by saying, I'm going to betray Jesus' body for myself. Judas symbolically and literally shares in Jesus' death, but does not reap the joy of his resurrection because he kills himself. So we know who the betrayer is. We know that it's Judas. Mark chapter 3 tells us that it's Judas. But the disciples didn't, and they all ask, is it I? Judas also asks, but he himself knows the answer. What it says to me, though, is something revelatory. And this is what, if you hear nothing else today, I think this is important. That being unsure of oneself and being unsure of Jesus are two different things. Judas made a wrong decision about Jesus. He decided that Jesus was not worthy to be worshipped or followed. And he made a decision about Jesus to betray him and hand him over for 30 pieces of silver. This differs from a group of disciples that were so unsure of themselves that when the shepherd was struck, they scattered. Jesus says specifically of Judas that it would have been better for him that he'd never been born. He doesn't say that of the other disciples. Even though he knows they're going to scatter, he doesn't say of them, it's better if you were never born. But for Judas to betray Jesus, to really know who Jesus was, and eventually hand God over to die, to essentially say, I'd rather you die so I can have 30 pieces of silver. This is what he's saying. And it eventually leads to such a guilt and a condemnation that he could not bear with living anymore. He can't find forgiveness for that. Even though he tries to give the 30 pieces back, he throws it to the temple. The fact that he forgot and denied Jesus completely also made him forget himself. So the disciples, they all struggle. They all struggle with, am I capable of betrayal? They, they become unsure of themselves, yes. But they still hope Jesus will deliver them. In the next verses, I think it's important for us to realize the real relevance of the meal, and who in fact this was the Last Supper for. In the Gospel according to Luke, we see after Jesus' resurrection, he breaks bread in the house of two disciples. After he walks with them on the, on the road to Emmaus, he goes into the house of two disciples, breaks bread, and then they realize, after spending the whole, most of the day with him, they realize, oh wait, we were just with Jesus. In the next verses... Jesus appears in a room filled with his disciples and asks them for something to eat. And he eats fish in his resurrected body in front of them. 
The significance of this last meal for Jesus was that it prepared him for his death. Right? So he shared in one more meal, one more, it was his last enjoyable moment on this earth, really. Right? So we see they eat, eventually they sing a hymn in verse 28, and, or 26, I'm sorry. And then they go, and then he's, he, he eventually gets betrayed, and then we know the story from there on out, and we'll hear it in the weeks to come. But his last good moment is spent eating at a table with his disciples. <clears throat> so we see Jesus eating after the resurrection. And he even says, and we'll get to that verse, but I'll read it now. It says, truly I said to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until the day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. He will eat and drink with us again. But we also know that whenever we take communion, his presence is with us. His presence is always with us. But he's there with us as his body on this earth. As we partake of communion, his presence is there. All the disciples ate together and they held on to the tradition of communion. So for Jesus, it was a moment to cherish it prepared him for w- and reminded him of who he was dying for. For a humanity that is rightfully unsure of its ability to save itself. And unsure of our capability of being faithfully devoted to God. Jesus is reminded, these are the people I'm dying for. These are the people that I'm breaking my body and shedding my blood for. But then you have Judas, who this... Was the one, he was the one who this was truly the last meal for. There was no joy in sharing of the resurrection. There was no more meals with any of the other disciples. This is Judas's last meal. He kills himself. But for the other disciples, we see the point of the Lord's Supper in verses 22 to 25. Let's read. And as they were eating, he took bread, and after blessing it, broke it. And he gave it to them and said, take, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus' kingdom coming, his will being done. We know that we are part of his kingdom now. We're waiting to see its ultimate fulfillment. We're waiting to have a celebratory meal with Jesus in the flesh, in his resurrected body, in our resurrected bodies. We're waiting for that meal that culminates everything, that says we are with him forever. And we proclaim that in the taking of communion. Elsewhere in scripture, we understand that the point of communion, the point of the Lord's Supper is remembrance. You're all familiar with the the verses and and the passages that say, where Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. And it's interesting how many things Jesus incorporates and hopes that the disciples will remember on this day. He has bread and wine. 
common food and drink of the day. He's got flesh and blood. He's got a meal with his community. The Passover celebration, which is so important in Jewish culture. It's, 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 nobody's going to forget to celebrate Passover. But Jesus wants to, to reinterpret Passover for his disciples. He wants them to remember him on that day. He wants them to remember him whenever they partake of bread and wine. He wants them to remember him whenever they see flesh and blood. Whenever they're about to go and then lay down their lives as martyrs, he wants them to remember his flesh and blood. He wants whenever they gather together, whether it's for a church service or for a meal, he wants them to remember him. He doesn't just want to make the meal memorable by preparing it for them in advance. He wants the disciples to remember in their eating together whenever they see the flesh and blood of another living being, he wants them to be reminded of Jesus. If at this time, for those of you who believe in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, for those of you who confess him, for those of you who say that you are a member, again, we do this in remembrance. We do this in saying we are a member of his body. We want to proclaim his death and celebrate his resurrection in this. I invite you to come forward.